0: encouragement. John shows them, and us, that authentic followers of Jesus have three characteristics. Right belief that exalts Jesus as the Son of God. Right behavior to God's truth as revealed in God's Word through God's Son and Spirit. And right brotherly love for those who claim to know Jesus. By this, we know that we are true followers of Jesus, by the way we obey. By the way we love others, by the way we have received the Spirit and have confidence in Him. Well, good morning. Grab your Bibles and go to First John chapter two. We'll be in chapter two, verse twenty-eight, going through chapter three, verse three. Um, before we start, I want to say a special thank you to uh, Bobby Kelly. Uh, you're right there. Hello, Dr. Kelly, Um, for uh, filling in for us last week. And uh, I was away with our students on our discipleship retreat. We took 57 of our students there and it was great. And then Scott was out um, and he was uh, getting his youngest daughter married. So uh, we were both out last week. So Dr. Kelly, appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, Sorry about Kentucky, but we'll make it. We'll make it. Hey, they were my pick. They're my champion in my bracket, so I I, I hurt with you. Um, all right, First John chapter two verse twenty eight. So um, before we get there, to kind of get us thinking about the passage, uh, Dwight D Eisenhower, whenever he was the president, would often vacation in Denver, and he got word that there was a six-year-old boy with cancer who lived in Dan- Denver who had the wish of meeting the president. The president got word, and rather than reaching out to the family to set up a time, he decided to just show up one day and surprise the family. And so one one morning, uh, the president got in his limousine with his motorcade, and together they traveled through Denver, through the boys' neighborhood, and pulled up to the boys' house. The president gets out along with his secret service members. They walk up to the front door. They knock And to the father's surprise, here was Dwight D. Eisenhower. Now, like most of us in here, uh, he was not, because he was not expecting the president to show up, he was not dressed for the president to show up. He's in jeans and a t shirt, and he had his five o'clock shadow left over from the day before. And so he sees the president in the Secret Service, his jaw drops, and he says, Man, isn't this a way to meet? the president. Now, most of us, probably all of us, we're never going to meet the president of the United States. I'm going to safely assume that none of us in here will have a day when the president comes up to our front door, knocks on our door door to meet our family. However, there will be a day when we do meet Jesus Christ. And there's gonna be a day just like this family, when they met the president, where we are not expecting to meet Jesus, but he is going to appear, before us, and it's our responsibility now to be ready to accept him, to receive him, and to worship him at his coming. The main idea of our text this morning, the main truth I want you to get is that God's children look forward to Jesus' coming. God's children look forward to Jesus' coming. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 28. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The first truth I want us to see this morning is that we are to live with confidence that Jesus will return. We are to live with confidence that Jesus will return. And so last week, uh, Dr. Kelly spent some time talking about the Antichrist and really what it means for us to have Antichrist among us and the importance of having a right understanding and affirming the right truths about who Jesus is. And so this conversation about the Antichrist is going to lead John now to connect Jesus's coming with the three tests we've discussed. So if you've been with us to the series, You know, in 1 John, he gives his audience three tests that they must pass to give evidence that they are followers of Jesus. The first one was the ethical test where they had to obey Jesus's commands. Uh, The second test is the one of love, that they are to love their spiritual family. And the third one is a test of knowledge that they affirm the right truths. And John's gonna now repeat all three tests and elaborate a little bit more what he's going to do here before he really gets deep into this first test again, and we're going to look at that next week, is he wants to instill confidence and comfort and hope into his audience. Because listen, if you're like me, there are times we're just listening through this series or um, just focusing on it and studying it, it gets a little overwhelming, Right? Where it almost feels like for you all, when I'm sitting over there, when someone else is preaching, it's week after week. It's like, hey, do this, do this, do this. And you just get so overwhelmed with all these things that you do and you need to do. And you see all of your inabilities. Uh, Even preaching it has been difficult because, you know, each week I'm coming up here, Scott's coming up here. and It's like, hey, we need to do this. and It's like a hard talk we have to have every single week. And here is John recognizing this, and so he just wants to almost take a break. And not just as if he's moving away from these tests, but he's basing it and rooting it in who the Father is and how the Father feels about us. And so he begins talking about this coming of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he's going to finalize and fully usher in his kingdom. Uh, that in the gospels, when you read the gospels, the, cent- the central aspect to it is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the reign or the rule of God. And we live in a world today where God's kingdom is here, but it's not fully realized yet until Jesus returns again. Uh, but Mark says in Mark chapter one, verse verses 14 through 15, He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. To believe in the gospel of Jesus is to enter into this kingdom and to allow Jesus to be the Lord and the king of your life. And then Jesus one day is going to return and fully establish that kingdom. But as we looked at last week, this idea of Jesus returning and end times, it's focused on our ethics today. And that we can easily sit around a table with, with coffee and sip on that coffee and debate the times and the seasons and everything going on and when Jesus is going to return. But if that is the culmination of your study and your understanding of the end times, you misunderstand the whole thing. Because the end times is not so much about when Jesus is coming, but it's you need to live in a ready state prepared for that coming to occur. Now, some of us in here, we're not worried about it. And it's not because we're secure in our faith, although we need to be. It's just that we don't care. That some of us in here, it's difficult. I'll be honest, like understanding end times is a difficult thing in scripture. And there are times we're like, man, that's, that's too much for me. I don't get it. I'm just going to not worry about it. But what not worrying about it often leads to is not thinking about it and not caring about it. But listen, John wants us to care about it, but that caring should lead to an ethical living. So how does he describe Jesus's coming? He uses two words. The first one is appears. Appears means to make visible the invisible. Go back to Jesus's first coming. When Jesus was first born, it was slowly unveiled that the Messiah had come. Uh, that people began to get word. And so uh, they would go and visit. The shepherds would come and they would see this Messiah. Uh, the, the, The wise men, they would go and they would see this Messiah. As Jesus grows up, his parents begin to wonder, is this really the Messiah? When Jesus begins his ministry and goes throughout his ministry, people question, is this the Messiah? And it's even on the cross where one finally says, This is the Messiah. But listen, church, the day that we see Jesus and we see him face to face, we're not going to be wondering if this is the Messiah. Rumors aren't gonna get spread about whether this is the Messiah. We don't have to get on Twitter or Facebook or go to our favorite local news station to find out that the Messiah has come. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, you are going to know that this is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And whether you affirm him as the son of God now, you will at his coming and realize he is everything that he says he is. Second appears refers to the suddenness and which is going to happen. That just like that, Jesus will return. This past weekend, I uh, spent time, Kayla and I spent time with her side of the family. I mean, before you groan and get worried, because you're thinking of your in-laws, it was great. We had a good time. Um, But during during our trip, we made the effort, we went down to Dallas, and we made the effort to go by Dealey Plaza, the area where uh, JFK was assassinated. But rather than just parking the car and getting out and looking at everything that you could look at, uh, we decided just to drive by it. And I don't know why we decided to do that. Otherwise we were in a hurry to get somewhere else. But I think it also was God's maybe providence for this illustration. But as we're going, we, I get to the stoplight, I'm driving and I'm just sitting there waiting to take the turn that JFK would have taken whenever he got shot. And so I'm waiting there and I'm just thinking like, man, this is weird. Like he was here and he did this. And then I make that turn. And when you make the turn and you've been there, uh, there is an X in the middle of the road where he was shot. And so I'm going and I'm driving and I see that X when my mother-in-law points it out. And I just begin to think that just a few feet before we got to that moment, he had no idea. No idea what was about to take place. And then all of a sudden, it's done. See, when Jesus Christ comes back, or maybe you pass from this life, it's just gonna happen suddenly. Jesus says, it's like a thief in the night. You don't expect it to happen. Otherwise you'd be up. Sure, you might lock your doors and set the alarm, but you don't really go to bed thinking tonight's the night someone's gonna break into my home. And we know it's going to happen. We know Jesus is going to come back, but we don't actually think that today is a day that it's going to happen. And then it does. The suddenness in which he appears. And then he uses the word coming. And the word coming, it talks about a celebrity or a king arriving. That Jesus isn't going to come again as a babe in a manger. He's going to come in all power, all glory, all might where it's unmistakable. We know who he is. Uh, Listen to what John says in his revelation in chapter one and the way he describes Jesus. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with the long robe and with the golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face... It was like the the sun shining in full strength. You see the power in which Jesus is going to come. And we would see in Revelation 1 that John falls on his face in awe and in worship at the sight of Jesus. And when we see him, we will be in awe. We will worship, but we also will have confidence. See, John says that the proper response is confidence at his coming. The word confidence, it means to have the boldness to speak. I talk about this a lot with our students. And I actually, I think, used this illustration a few weeks ago. But on the screen, you see one of my favorite pictures of my life. Uh, it's me meeting my favorite baseball player, Chipper Jones. Um, now, I met Chipper Jones in the Santa Fe of Shawnee, Oklahoma. Uh, This was my junior year of college. I was sitting on the futon, my green futon in my apartment. And my friend called me and said, hey man, Chipper Jones is at Santa Fe right now. And he worked there and I'm like, dude, quit. No, no, he's not. He's like, dude, I promise you, you need to get here right now. And I'm like, hey, I'm I'm gonna try. I don't believe him, but let's do it. So I get a brave shirt on, get my hat on. And I grab my pennant that's now in my office um, for him to, to sign. And so I... Got all my stuff and I drive to Santa Fe and I get in there. And this was before they remodeled. So those of you who are familiar with it, remember they used to have that back right corner with the wall for that private dining. So you couldn't see who was back there. So I'm, I'm in the walk in the Santa Fe and I walk up to the hostess. She says, for one, I'm like, actually for zero, um, I'm here to meet Chipper. And she's like, dude, no one names named Chipper works here. I'm like, Chipper Jones, he's back in the back. He goes, who names their kid Chipper, right? Like that's not, there's no guy named Chipper here. So I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, my friend, he got me. They're all back at OBU laughing, making fun of me. But then my friend comes out, he says, dude, don't leave. I promise you he's back there. You just can't go back there yet. I said, okay, whatever. I sit in Santa Fe for an hour and a half by myself, (laughs) holding my pennant, praying I'm not looking like a loser. An hour and a half goes by and my friend comes back and says, hey, you can come back here. So I'm just hoping it's real. Walk back there and there he is. The guy I grew up watching on TBS, the guy I talked about with my granny every Sunday when we we had lunch together, my favorite player is right here. So I get in line, I'm getting ready to meet him. I introduce myself, he introduces himself even though he didn't need to. And then this phrase came out of my mouth, chipper, this is the greatest day of my life. (laughs) And the moment I said that, I heard some lady go, aww. (laughs) And I'm 20 years old. And so I'm, I'm, I'm now officially an adult. And I'm just gonna tell you, an adult guy shouldn't tell another adult guy when they meet him. This is the greatest day of my life. It's one thing when I got married and looking at my wife right here on this stage saying, this is the greatest day of my life. But when I'm in Santa Fe, looking at some baseball player and I tell them like, no. And so I, I, I'm embarrassed. I can't live I just said that. And so the rest of the time, I'm just like mumbling my way through. I'm just like, dude, sign my penance so I can leave and forget this entire moment except for that picture, right? When we see Jesus, guess what? We're not gonna mumble and stutter our way through our conversation, but we're gonna boldly come up to him and talk to him. It's not because we see ourselves as equal to Jesus, but guess what? We are so overwhelmed. We have such an understanding of the work that Christ has done on our behalf that there absolutely is no shame that followers of Jesus live in anticipation and expectation and excitement that Jesus is going to come back. And listen, it's hard sometimes. Like in this service, we have people of all ages. And I know all of us at some point, whether we're here now or we have been, there's been a season of our life where we've said, you know what, Jesus, I can't wait to see you, but I prefer you wait till after I get married. I have kids. I can experience all these things in life and then you can come back. Listen, if we love the Lord and our faith is in him, we cannot wait for that moment. Those who know the Lord have confidence that when he comes, we can talk to him freely and openly. And again, it's not because I'm I'm proud of myself, not because I think I'm great. It's because Jesus Christ is in what it takes for me to approach him. The other response is not one of confidence, but it's one of shame. That John says that they shrink back. It makes me think of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? You know, in Hebrews chapter three, when it says that God would come and God would sit with them or talk with them on the cool of the day. And the idea is that it happened every day. That every day when the sun went down in the garden and the heat went away and began to cool down, God would come to Adam and Eve. Now I just imagine the conversations. Eve looking at Adam or the Lord and talking about Adam. God, he's amazing. He's so gentle. He's so calm. He's patient. He's caring. Uh, He looks out for what's best for me. He takes care of your creation. And then Adam looking at the Lord and saying, God, she's, she's beautiful. And she likes me and she listens and she respects me. And did I say that she's really, really beautiful? And they would just brag on the Lord and praise Him like, God, this is amazing. And, and, but I just imagine every day it's going to that spot where they can meet the Lord. But then sin comes in and what's their response? The cool of the day comes and they run, they hide because their shame has led them to be afraid of the Lord. Sure, when Jesus comes, I mean, we're going to be in awe of him, but we're not afraid, but we're confident that he's going to bring us into his kingdom. And so what do we do then? We want to abide in him now. Listen, this confidence doesn't come just in that moment, but it's living now in relationship with the Lord and living in that confidence. The second truth we understand this morning is that we are to live under the comfort of God's love. We live under the comfort of God's love. So as we're walking in obedience and John is saying, hey, do these things, love one another, affirm these truths. It's all in light that Jesus will come again, but also in the fact that God loves you, that God cares about you. His comfort leads to confidence. I love the language, see, What kind of love? Now, I like this service because you all interact with us, right? When we're preaching. Um, So I wanna do a little interaction exercise, give you permission to talk in church, all right? Um, But I believe you can do it, all right? Just going back to our children's church days, okay? I'm gonna make a statement and then I'm gonna count to three and I want you to repeat that statement, all right? Everyone out loud. The statement is easy, God loves me. Okay, we can do it, I believe in us, all right? One, two, three. Three, God loves, God loves me. A simple truth. Those of us who are married in here, there are times in your marriage, maybe you're dating someone, but there are times where you say, I love you. And maybe it's hanging up the phone. And you're just saying, hey, I love you. That's what you do. It's what you say. And then you hang up the phone, you carry on with what you're doing. But then there's days where you say, I love you, or your spouse or the person you're dating says, I love you and just for a moment, you're kind of overwhelmed. Like this person loves me. Like in in dating, you get to love the good side of a person. You don't see everything. But in marriage, you see the real person. And as your marriage goes on in life, you really see the real person. And then for them to say, I love you, even when they see that, like sometimes it's like my wife says, I love you. I'm like, oh, thanks, that's really nice of you. And then there are times, where my wife says, I love you. And I'm like, this moron? You love this guy? Like, are you sure it's me? And she's like, yeah. Listen, when when God says, I love you, then he loves you. And this isn't a self-help sermon to make you feel better about yourself. But the reality is God loves you and he delights in you and he longs to be with you. Not only are we not ashamed of Jesus at his coming, guess what? God's not ashamed of us at his coming. He delights in coming to get his people. I love what David says in in Psalm chapter eight. Uh, Listen or see what he says on the screen. Oh Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above all, above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Pause there. Got a strong He is powerful, he is majestic, he is beautiful. He has made all things, all things surround him and focus on him and his glory. Verse four, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is Aaron that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Do you see that? That God loves you and he cares deeply about you crowned you with glory and honor. Man, look at me. I'm like, glory and honor, where is it? Like I missed that part. I skipped that day of school and they it all of that out, right? I don't know what's honorable about me. And God's like, man, everything. And not because I'm great, because I'm awesome, but because for some reason, God said here is glory and honor. And that's for every single one of us. And so you don't need to chase after something to give you glory. Chase after something to give you honor. It is given to you as a gift from the Lord. I love it. Oh, what kind of love. Oh, what kind is a phrase that people often use when they saw a foreign ship come to their land. The locals would look and say, oh, what kind of people this is. Oh, what kind of spices they might be bringing. Oh, what kind of toys they might have. It's because it's different than what they're used to. Those of you who've been on mission trips know what it's like to visit a village or a city and the people flock to you right? You don't look like them. You don't talk like them. You don't act like them. Therefore, for some reason, they're intrigued by you. Oh, what kind, something different and foreign. And that's what John is getting at. The love that God has for you is something unlike we can experience from any other human on earth. It is a special kind of love, a love that makes our jaw drop and a love that makes us his children. We've talked about the doctrine of adoption in this series and how God makes us legally his children. And as great and as godly as adoption is, it's limited in a few things. That sure, and when a child is adopted over time, they're going to develop some of the same habits and characteristics and likings as their parents and their siblings. But if I was adopted as a kid, and my mom was 6'3", and my dad was 6'7", guess what? I'm still going to be 5'9 on a good day when I wear boots, right? Like I'm not going to be adopted and then overnight or a year later grow seven inches. See, when John uses the word children here rather than son or daughter, it's more than just a legal statement about your relationship to the father. He is talking about your nature with the father, that you become something new. And he references that in verse 29, that we are born of God. And John talks about this in John three, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, that anyone who is to follow God needs to be born again, right? That when you are born again, you can now receive the nature and then live that nature out. When you tell a non-Christian, you tell an unbeliever to obey God, you know it's impossible. You know, they can't do it. Sure, they might do the action you told them to do, but because it's not done in faith, it's, it's still done in sin. But when you tell a believer to do something, you know they can do it. You know that you don't have to sin. I get it, it's a struggle, it's a battle. And we're gonna look at that in a second, but you don't have to sin that you can rely on the Holy Spirit and in walking with him, you can overcome your sin. You know why? Because you are born again. You are something new. Uh, Paul says on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are something new. And I get it. You don't always feel that way. You don't feel new. And John understands how we feel. Like verse verse three, uh, beloved we are, or verse two, beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. You are God's child if you are a follower of Jesus. That's who you are. But you haven't fully become what God intends for you as being his child. It's why you still have that struggle and that battle with sin every single day. But what I hope to instill in you this morning is that as we talk again next week about obedience and walking in righteousness, it's all based on the promise that we are God's child, his children. It's all based on the fact that we have confidence at his coming. We can look forward to that moment. So the final truth we see is that we are to live, live for the consecration of ourselves or live for the consecration of yourself. Verse verse three, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So John's going to make sure that you understand how you live matters. Listen, church, one thing that we've done, I think sometimes in the church in general, Um, across the board is is we've often said to people, you don't want to be doing that whenever Jesus returns. I remember hearing that a lot whenever I was growing up. You don't want to be gossiping about that person whenever Jesus returns. You don't want to be in that illicit relationship whenever Jesus returns. You don't want to be saying that thing whenever Jesus returns. You don't want to have that thought whenever Jesus returns. And listen, we don't want to be in sin when Jesus returns. But I think often what it is, it's this fear that man, if I'm doing that, then God's not gonna be, be okay with me. Listen, when Jesus returns, it's not about evaluating your relationship, it's about revealing it. It's about showing where you're at. But all that can say that well, what we do now doesn't matter, but it does. That because we have confidence, because we have comfort, let's then live purely. Let's consecrate ourselves. Let's set ourselves apart, even when it's hard. John Calvin says, you can see this on the screen, Physically we are dust in a shadow and death is always before our eyes. And we are exposed to a thousand miseries and our souls to innumerable evils, so that we always find a hell within us. The more necessary is it that our senses should be withdrawn from the view of present things, lest the miseries should shake our trust in that happiness which, has, which as yet is hidden. And then he adds, our desire for holiness should not grow cold because our happiness has not yet appeared, for the hope is sufficient. In a season where it's difficult to walk with the Lord, you're losing sight of this confidence, losing sight of this comfort. Church, what we want you to do is to direct your attention to him and remind yourself of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And so as we begin to revisit over the next couple of weeks, these three tests, it's all about you preparing yourself to see Jesus and living now and resting now and the comfort that he gives us through his love for us. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. And Lord, we we don't deserve to have confidence. God, we deserve to shrink back. God, we deserve to be ashamed. Father, we don't, deserve the opportunity to come in here each week and to lift our hands in song and worship and sing to boast about what you've done for us. God, we, we, we are prodigal children. Those who've run away, those who have made ourselves apart from you, but God, you have brought us back into your fold, brought us back into your family and made us once again, your children. And so God, we praise you this morning for that truth. And so Lord, I pray for those of us in here who who have you as our father. I pray, God, that we will live as men and women who consecrate ourselves before you, walking in holiness before you. And God, I pray for those who are not your children yet, that God, they have not put their faith in you and they are still enemies of the cross. God, I pray that this morning will be a day of salvation and a day of change and a day of hope where they become pure. Father, you're a God who is good to us, who loves us, who gives us honor and glory. Lord, we love you in your name. Amen.